What's up? I'm Ben Hale, and this is the Easy Living Yards podcast. Creating a beautiful yard should be easy. Let's jump in and create the dream yard you deserve so you can enjoy more time doing what you love. Welcome to episode 106 of the Easy Living Yards podcast. Today we're going to talk about how to get started with eco-friendly landscaping. Guys, this is an awesome show today, as usual, of course, right? But today we're talking about how you can get started with your landscape. If you, Wherever you're at right now, what can you do to be more eco-friendly with your landscape? Today, more than ever, this is super important that our yards serve a greater purpose, not just to look beautiful, not to just be a space to relax in or to play in, but also to provide a space for those other members of our world. That's what today's show is about. This has been a theme and it will continue to be a theme with the direction of where Easy Living Yards is going. I believe we should all have a beautiful, eco-friendly landscape. An eco-friendly landscape means something that we're, well, we'll get into it today, of course, but in a nutshell, not to be a formal definition, this is something where we shouldn't be using a ton of inputs, whether that's our time, our labor, or synthetically produced amendments, or fossil fuels, whatever it is. We should reduce our inputs in our landscapes, maximize the beauty and the outputs of our landscapes, the joy we get from them, and also the benefit to the natural world around us. That's what eco-friendly landscaping is to me, and that's what I hope you aspire to have with your landscape as well. So we're going to go through a couple things. I'll just break out the buckets right now. We're going to talk about chemical use, water use, habitat, gas emissions, and reducing lawns and hardscape. I have a ton of awesome links for today's show. I also want to share before we jump into this topic that I'm going to be offering a free webinar on July 9th, 2020. So this is Thursday, July 9th. It's coming up soon after this show airs. So if you're available, I highly recommend you jump on and sign up to this webinar. Go over to easylivingyards.com slash eco-webinar. We're going to be talking about five easy steps to an eco-friendly yard. This is a perfect complement to today's show. So today we're kind of talking about the overarching ways to get started, and we're going to get super specific on steps you can take in this free webinar. So if you want to go over to easylivingyards.com slash eco-webinar, sign up July 9th. Uh, I think we're planning on 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, It might be 9 p.m. Eastern time. I still have to lock down the time, but it's going to be in the evening Eastern time. Um easylivingyards.com slash eco-webinar. So goes, guys, go over and check that out. Um, I look forward to talking with you guys. It's going to be a live session with a Q&A at the end as well. So any questions you have, you can ask me directly. We're going to have a lot of fun chit-chatting about eco- eco-friendly landscaping. All right, let's jump into today's show. So first, when it comes to getting started with eco-friendly landscaping, One of the first things I always talk about is chemical use. We've become so dependent on inputs, chemical inputs into our landscapes. Guys, our landscapes, they're not a chemistry process. They're at at minimum a biochemistry process, right? And more importantly, they're a giant habitat and ecosphere 
just because we're giant macroorganisms, we so easily gloss over the immense amount of activity that goes on that we can't see in our landscapes. There's an immense amount or immense potential for a huge amount of microbiota and microbiological processes. And I'm not just talking about bacteria, but I'm also talking about fungal processes, protozoans, all sorts of these crazy alien looking creatures that do very, very provide very, very important functions in our landscapes and in a well-functioning habitat. Our chemical use is actually a sign of disease. If you think about it, a perfect analogy is, is the medical industry, right? If you're dependent on a lot of medications, likely it's a sign that your body's not working properly, right? And yes, I get it. Sometimes there's very th- there, there are things where you need to take medication, right? But usually it's a sign of a deeper problem, right? So, so if we can fix the problem in a healthier way, then we don't need that medicine. Well, our landscapes are very similar, okay? So often we reach to a bottle of weed and feed to put around our landscape or Roundup to deal with a weed problem, right? Or some pesticide to spray on an insect uh, or over an entire area if we have an insect problem to treat our whole lawn for grubs, right? This is a problem and we're not dealing with it in the healthiest way. A lot of these chemicals have non-target effects. They, they affect basically other creatures that we don't realize and it might not even be in our immediate landscape there's a significant amount of what the Environmental Protection Agency calls non-point source pollution that comes from homeowners' landscapes. Basically, we apply these chemicals to our landscapes, and then it rains before these chemicals are fully degraded into sometimes (laughs) just as unhealthy components, and they're washed down the drain and into the sewer, into our waterways where they can be very... Uh, detrimental to aquatic habitats. They can also soak into aquifers. If you don't know what an aquifer is, take a look at what's coming out of your tap when you turn it on. A lot of our water comes from underground systems, and we're we're contaminating with with all of these chemicals that we use on our landscapes. So there are a lot of non-target effects, both to humans and to a vast array of life around us when we use these chemicals. Yes, they're convenient. Yes, they're easier, right, when you're talking about a specific problem. But if we can wean ourselves off of these chemicals, the long-term benefit is actually much greater, both to ourselves and to the world around us. Sometimes it means we do have to sacrifice a little bit. A perfect example is in our front landscape, it's, uh, it's, it's looking beautiful this year, by the way. So it's about two years old now, our front foundation landscape, uh, we redid and, uh, it's mostly native plants. Um, and four specific plants are these beautiful asters. It's a, it's a cultivar called purple dome. And so it's a cultivar of a native plant and these purple dome asters, they look amazing in the fall. They're a nice, compact, shrubby form of a herbaceous perennial. So they die back to the ground each year. Well, this year they came up and they started to get infested with 
some sort of insect. And so I was looking into more about this insect. And from what I can tell, it's the chrysanthemum lace bug. So the chrysanthemum lace bug affects various um, related flowers and plants in the uh, compositae family, which is um, composite flowers such as chrysanthemums and asters. And so anyway, trying to be true to my intent of reducing chemical use and and also even furthermore being non-interventionist, I wanted to experiment and see what happened. Well, it turns out these plants got fully infested. They died back to the ground and two of them are completely dead. Two of them appear to be bouncing back. So I don't necessarily mean work without an intervention here. What I mean is to reduce our dependence on synthetic herbicides and pesticides. Okay, there are other interventions. So, for example, with these lace bugs, a simple intervention, because the larvae are not very mobile, is to simply spray off the plants when you see a a larger infestation going on. As long as a significant portion of the plant can survive after these insects complete their life cycles and move on, uh, you'll be okay. But if you let it go completely, as I did with my front yard experiment, uh, you may be dealing with more disastrous consequences. Of course, a longer term thing is to also provide habitat for beneficial insects and predator insects. But we'll get to that in a little bit, right? Okay. (laughs) So as far as chemical use goes, right, let's try and reduce it. And you can use other interventions. So like the spraying for water for, for things like aphids and all these soft-bodied insects, um, these lace bugs that I was dealing with. Things like Japanese beetles, if they're really bothering your plants, I go around, uh, they, we have some pawpaw trees in the back, and they, for whatever reason, these Japanese beetles seem to like the pawpaw trees, surprisingly. Um, and so I'll go around maybe about once a week in the peak of summer when they're really getting bad. And I just go around and find them and flick them into a cup of soapy water. It takes care of them. I don't have to spray anything. It's a very non, um, it doesn't have a broad effect like spraying a chemical on the tree where the plant's going to eat it and die because then any, any, uh, zebra swallowtail caterpillars that come on and use, um, pawpaws as a host tree, they might die as well. And I don't want that. I don't know about you guys, but I like swallowtail butterflies. I actually like a lot of insects. Yes, sometimes they can cause problems, but overall, they're a good partner to have in the world. And let's remember, some of our favorite things uh, eat plants and insects uh, to, to grow into something that's useful for humans too. All right, so I think we've talked enough about chemicals. The, the biggest thing is whatever you're doing now, See if you can do a little bit less, okay? And just work toward the goal of eventually getting off of using synthetic chemicals in what maybe is a healthy, natural alternative or practice um, to what you currently do. Of course, there's a lot of details here, but that's the overarching thing. So for lawns, think about what you can do for organic lawn care practice. With your plants, think what you can do if you need to intervene um, to to not you have to use chemicals to do so. All right, let's move on. So we talked about reducing chemical use. Let's talk about water use. And here it's not necessarily just reducing water use, but being conscious of the water that affects our landscape and the water we put into our landscape. 
Okay, so it's more about conscious use of water. Here's the reality, guys. No matter where you live in the United States, we're living on stress water resources. Wherever you live in the world, you're likely also living on stressed water resources. Of course, we think about water resources from the standpoint of fresh water use and for the use of humans. So we also have to think about sharing it with the world around us, of course, right? The water cycle as a whole, freshwater systems for freshwater habitat, but then also sustainable freshwater use for human use, okay? So when it comes to our landscapes, also think about what we use freshwater for, right? We use it for drinking. We use it for agriculture. Very important things for the sustaining of human life, right? So there are many more important things than watering your rose bushes that water needs to be used for. Also, it's likely that potable water does not need to be used in your landscape. So think about that too. I'm not going to get into gray water systems here, but you can always consider gray water reuse in your landscape as one way to consciously increase the usefulness of fresh water. So gray water reuse in a nutshell, if you're not familiar with the concept, is where you take water from your household that has been used once for something, most commonly with laundry washing, for example, and then it's repurposed into a lower tier use. Uh, that does not need to be as purified, such as landscape irrigation. This is an awesome way to repurpose water instead of just sending it down the drain and and using it for, you know, whether it's rinsing off a, cup, a plate in a bowl and then going down the drain or something, right? Or washing your dirty clothes and then going down the drain. Think about how much water gets used there, right? So these are practices we can put in place Things such as gray water reuse. Yes, this requires some work, but I want to put the bug in your ear now, just in case you want to consider it in the future. What else can we do? Well, let's talk about irrigation, right? If you irrigate your landscape, are you doing it efficiently? Are you doing it properly? Can you change your habits just to be more conscious? So, for example, um, with your irrigation system, is it on a timer? Does it always need to operate when the timer's going? Most likely not, okay? And also, generally speaking, it's better to water less frequently and more deeply to help develop stronger, more robust plants than it is to water more frequently and less deeply, if that makes sense. So think about how you can change your irrigation habits to also be more conscious with the water you're using. What about the plants themselves? Perhaps we can change the plants we have in our landscape that aren't as thirsty and don't require as much water use and then can be more conscious about the water we need to use. Now, if you have a new landscape, here's the reality. A lot of plants, especially after transplant, they need a little help getting started, right? They need a little nursing uh, to get going. And so you might need to do some short-term irrigation for that. And that you know, that's a little bit more acceptable because in the long term, you're developing a more robust system that's going to be hardier in the long term. Okay, so I hope you guys get that. Um, I want to highlight a couple more things. Um, one is increasing absorption. So with increasing absorption, what I mean here is is most landscapes are designed to get water off them as quickly as possible to get them away from the foundation of the house, which is an important thing for the structural integrity of your home, but not only away from the edge of your house, but as 
off of your landscape as quickly as possible. But think about what you can do with that water, right? If you can let it sit in your landscape for even a couple more days, what could it do for your landscape? I'm not necessarily talking about giant pools of water sitting here and there, right? Maybe you have problems with that for one, right? What I'm talking about here is how to design your landscape to retain water a little bit, soak it into the ground where it's held in the soil and can then be used by plants and the critters in your soil that are important for healthy soil life. A great example is rain gardens, for example. So, of course, I want to highlight, I just talked about rain gardens in episode 77. So go over to easylivingyards.com slash episode 77 to learn more about rain garden design there. Um, I'll have a link to this and many other resources in the show notes over at easylivingyards.com slash episode 106. So for now, just keep listening for later. Check out all these awesome resources that I'll be talking about. The next resource <laughs> comes right after this, which is uh, I did an episode on xeriscaping and drought-tolerant plants. So that's easylivingyards.com slash episode 74. Check that one out. So basically, drought-tolerant plants are, are selecting drought-tolerant plants is an awesome way to provide beauty in your landscape. You know, not just to have a barren landscape, but provide beauty with plants that thrive in drought conditions. There are tons of plants that are well adapted to really tough conditions. So select those plants for the conditions you have in order to have a better, healthier, lower maintenance landscape that requires less work from you and less environmental inputs. So go on and check it out. Xeriscaping, episode 74, over at easylivingyards.com slash episode 74. All right, so next up, we're going to talk about providing habitat. Providing habitat. Well, our home is our habitat, right? Well, I'm talking about everything else in the world, not you and your family. Habitat's really important, guys. I've talked about in past shows how basically our backyards can become like the new national park system, right? It's necessary. And funny enough, you know, I've talked about this and here there's this big guy called Doug Tallamy is saying basically the same thing with his latest book out. So he calls it, uh, I think, Homegrown National Parks. Well, he's onto a great idea here, right? And the reason Doug talks about Homegrown National Parks, and I talk about the, the new national park system in our backyards, is because having nature, you know, sheltered off in some fragmented piece of a park preserved somewhere isn't good enough there we've reduced the amount of natural habitat not only in the united states but across the world to such a small proportion that that the natural world is in a drastically disastrous state it's on the precipice of mass extinction we're we're in the middle of mass extinctions guys i don't mean this show to be incredibly negative uh, or you know scary is probably a better word i'm not trying to use scare tactics here but the reality is this is scary guys this is really scary it scares me a lot <laughs> and so i really encourage you to read some of doug's books um, he has two great books specifically that i want to highlight so Doug Tallamy um, writes the book, Bringing Nature Home, which provides an awesome case for why native plants are important. And his more recent book, Nature's Best Hope, just is awesome too. All right. So, so 
Bringing Nature Home really talks about the importance of native plants and plants you can select in your yards and ones that are super, um, you know, how much they support insect life, which is important for all other levels of life, basically, too, is his case. And then Nature's Best Hope provides an incredibly compelling case as why our backyards are the place that this should happen. So I can't agree with Doug Moore here. I want you to check out his books. They're awesome. Um, maybe one day I'll have Doug on the show here. That would be awesome too, um, to tell you in his own words where you don't have to read them, right? That'd be pretty cool too. So um, check those out. But but basically, our home should be a healthy space, not only for us and for our children and our pets, but also the world around us, right? The greater landscape, as I sometimes call it, too. So what's this new national park system? Well, basically, we don't have to be separate from nature. We can be integrated with nature, and it can be beautiful. So your landscape can be designed in a way that's as aesthetically pleasing to whatever kind of condition, you know, style you have, with the appropriate plants that can also provide habitat for insects and for macrofauna, right? So for rabbits and, and chipmunks and, you know, all the, you know, peregrine falcons, maybe, you know, maybe show up one day at your landscape too, whatever it is, right? You're providing a positive impact with your landscape instead of being a negative impact. That's the important thing, guys, and that's what Habitat does. That's what all of these things I'm talking about today do. All right, I can't be more passionate about this. Okay, so our landscapes have to serve a positive purpose. I believe that strongly, and I hope you believe that too. So how can you provide that positive purpose with your landscape? Well, we talk about a lot of things, right? I've talked about saving time. That's important because your time is valuable. That's a limited resource of your life, right? So saving time is really important. I've talked a lot about that. Well, today is not about that piece, all right? Today is about providing a positive benefit to leave behind, a positive legacy that your landscape can leave behind to the world around us. The reality is your landscape used to be a more healthy habitat than it is now, right? Most of us that live east of the Mississippi, I can guarantee that's the case. West of the Mississippi, I can guarantee that your landscape is a higher resource drain than it ever was in the past before it was developed, okay? Those are blanket statements I would say they're 99% true. So how can we reverse that, right? How can we make up for the damage that we've done by being here on this earth, by existing, and by having a home, right? Those are all important things because we wouldn't be here without them, right? So how can we make them the best possible? How can we make that postage stamp lot into a postage stamp national park, right? Okay, and something that's also beautiful, that's something your neighbors admire and want to emulate, right? Something that your kids can go out and experience their own national park, right? They can experience the wild nature right in your backyard and your front yard, okay? So that's what Habitat does. So how do you do that? Well, first, we, we want to start with that overarching goal. Make your home a home for other creatures, right? And how do we do that? Well, of course... One of the biggest things is turn to native plants first, okay? Turning to native plants, native creatures are, especially native herbivores, right, are adapted to native plants, right? They, that's what they eat. That's what they've evolved to eat, 
over millennia, right? And even even native omnivores or native carnivores are adapted to native plants, all right? Birds have been documented to nest better and to be able to evade predators better in specific native plants compared to non-native plants, all right? In other parts of the world, those non-native plants are native, right? And in there, they're adapted to that local ecosystem. But here, things are different, all right? So wherever you are, wherever here is for you and wherever there is for there, right? Think about what's native to your landscape. In the U.S., it's, it's potentially a lot easier to do because... The United States, for better or for worse, was more recently developed than a lot of other parts of the world. And we still have a lot of native fragments left. They're not necessarily untouched. They're not necessarily pristine. But there are a lot of more pockets of native habitat. So let's take that one step further backward as far as ecological damage goes and provide a beautiful, enjoyable native habitat for the the animals and plants around us, okay? This is about species protection, guys. Not only the, the insects and the animals, but also the plants themselves. You know, pr- protecting that genetic biodiversity that comes with native habitats. Okay, so turn to native plants first, right? That's important for providing habitat. Leave areas that are you know, less frequently tended. They don't have to be ugly or scrubby, but just let them take care of themselves and don't get in there and intervene so much, right? So this means, you know, a a flower bed doesn't have to be pulled at the end of the season, right? You don't have to pull up all the plants, all those roots and stuff if it's an annual bed. Let them go over the winter, right? So a lot of insects overwinter in dead plant material and dead plant material can be very attractive in its own right too, okay? another piece here is um, what you do with your lawn matters, okay? And I'm talking about how much lawn you have and how you manage it. So this ties into the other points, right? Chemical use is very important. Frequency of mowing is very important. So mowing less frequently, mowing higher, actually provides better habitat for more insects in your landscape and provides healthier grass as well, okay? And then, of course, reducing lawn, which is a later point. I'm teasing into it, right? But it's also important in replacing some of that lawn with something more valuable. All right, trees, guys. I don't know about you, but I love trees. I think they're beautiful. So selecting a few native trees that are also beautiful to go in your landscape are also very beneficial for your landscape, okay? And not only for you, but for your habitat that you're providing. So... Do a good turn, right? Do something good with your landscape. Plant some natives, plant some beautiful plants, okay? Let's talk about gas emissions. All right, I don't know about you, but almost every single day where we live, we hear the roar of a two-cycle engine and a four-cycle engine. Not on a car. (laughs) I'm talking about lawnmowers and weed eaters and blowers. They're going all the time in the warmer months, okay? It's crazy. It's it's actually hard for me to do a recording sometimes because they're so loud. Even indoors, it's hard to record, okay? That's how loud it is. Well, reduce your emissions. Mow less frequently. Raise your mower a bit higher. Your grass will go slower. Your roots will develop better on your grass. You'll, 
your grass will, <laughs> so you'll have to mow less often because your grass growing is growing slower. Yes, it's a little bit taller, but it still looks pretty, guys, when you trim it, and all those blades are nice and even. They're just as even when your grass is taller, and you freshly cut it as if you had your mower blades lower, okay? So it looks beautiful. It, you know, it still looks like a lawn, okay? And you don't have to mow as often. You're reducing your gas emissions there. Of course, reducing lawn would also reduce your gas emissions. Just a little teaser here, of course. Now, another option, of course, is going electric. Now, this is potentially controversial because if you're using a battery-powered uh, mower, which is way more convenient than a corded mower, I will be 100% honest there. So if you're using a battery-powered mower, there is a huge environmental impact of lithium my uh lithium mining as well as other trace minerals required for for a lot of those electric um battery powered instruments so you know there's a contentious debate there and rightfully so because there's a huge environmental impact with that lithium mining on the flip side it greatly reduces gas emissions when you switch to electric so consider that at least and um <laughs> we just got a, a, a battery powered mower um this past year and uh really we couldn't be happier with it 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 lasts for essentially our whole landscape when we mow it on one battery charge and it's super quiet our kids can talk to us while we're mowing if they you know they they inevitably interrupt even if we ask them you know to go stay out back while i cut the grass it's it's not the reality let's face it right but we don't have to turn off the mower every time. It's so quiet. Um, when our neighbors are mowing at the same time, their mower is louder, louder than the one right in front of us. So that's a, a very nice benefit as well. But we're talking about gas emissions. So think of what you can do to reduce your gas emissions. Mowers and weed trimmers and blowers, those small engines are more... I don't have the statistics here. I purposely did not gather statistics for today's show because there's a lot of nuance there as well, right? But um, but they're more um, destructive in their emissions than cars are. It's crazy, right? So, But if you think about pretty much everybody with a lawn has a lawnmower, and those mowers, those trimmers, those blowers belch out uh, – all sorts of hydrocarbons into our atmosphere that causes all sorts of problems. That's well documented whether or not you agree with all the whatever side of climate scientists you want to believe in uh, or whatever. It's well documented that hydrocarbons in the atmosphere are not good and it happens a lot. Okay, so let's leave it at that. So reduce your gas emissions. Let's move on to the last piece. Reduce your lawns and hardscape. Okay, We've substantially increased the amount of impervious or uh, not very pervious surfaces in the United States and in the world as a whole. What's pervious? It means permeable, right? Maybe that's what I should use. Maybe I should use a less fancy word. Okay, out of the fancy word club, impermeable and semi-permeable surfaces. All right, there we go. So, so basically surfaces where water, if it falls on it, it sheets off instead of soaking in, all right? Naturally, water is supposed to soak into the landscape almost as much or more than it runs off the landscape. This is healthy for the soil. It's healthy for the aquifers underneath it, which again is where we get our drinking water and irrigation water from for the most of the world, all right? So 
those systems aren't being replenished as quickly as they're being deplenished. Is that a word? Deplenished? Diminished? There we go. Man, it's fancy word day, guys. All right. I didn't know we were going to use so many fancy words. All right. So basically, by reducing your lawn and your hardscape, right, and increasing the amount of surfaces that infiltrate water uh, into permeable, there we go, permeable surfaces, um, they help buffer climate, they help sequester carbon, um, they reduce runoff. Again, check out that rain garden design episode, episode 77 over at easylivingyards.com slash episode 77. And of course, these things recharge our aquifers, which is a big problem I've talked about, right? So all of these measures, really, that's what they do. Buffering climate, what do I mean? Well, when you cover surfaces like like concrete or lawns that you know aren't very good at buffering climate you know they get hot in the summer cold in the winter windy when it's windy right that's what i'm talking about they get dry when the sun's out and wet when the rain's out but not for long okay so what we want is for them to stay wet a lot longer as they soak in the water we want them to not get as hot when the sun's out we want them to not get as cold when it's winter and we want them to not get as windy when it's windy that's buffering okay (laughs) so so buffering climate is really important. All of these measures we've talked about today help with increasing habitat, creating that backyard national park. What what does Doug call it again? The homegrown national park, right? So I guess I need to start using his term because I think he's bigger and more important than me. Okay, <laughs> let's face it. We're, I'm going to stick with my term because I'm a punk. All right, so uh, buffering climate, um, Increasing habitat, all of these measures go to do that. And let's face it, from a selfish standpoint, it makes you feel good, right? You're making a difference. We all want to make a positive difference. That's the reality, right? So why not make a positive difference with your landscape? These are ways you can do it. Again, if you guys want to get super detailed on ways you can start today, I have that follow-up webinar coming up July 9th, 2020, 8.30 p.m. That's Thursday Five easy steps to an eco-friendly yard. We're going to get super granular on what to do now to get started. And you, I, I, I challenge you to pick one of these five steps we'll talk about to commit to making a difference within the next weeks. All right, so July 9th, come join me. I'll be live talking with you guys face-to-face. Well, you know, digital face-to-face, right? That's as real as it gets these days with COVID life, right? So digital face-to-face, I'll have a live Q&A at the end so you can ask me your questions. We can talk about stuff. Um, yeah, talk about stuff. That's fun. So go on over to easylivingyards.com slash webinar to sign up today, all right? Get your spot on that webinar. Make sure you have a spot um, July 9th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Um, okay. All these, all these guys, all these links I talked about today there, let me spit it out. I'm having trouble getting things out today. I guess a little bit. Thanks for bearing with me. I hope you guys are super psyched about this show. When I get excited, it's pretty obvious. I think so links for today's show. I didn't talk about it, but just recently episode 104, I had, uh, easy living yards members, Jen and Gary on to talk about their landscape and all the awesome work they're doing. Guys, they're rock starring it. Okay. They're doing awesome stuff with their yard to create a, a beautiful yard. That's filled with eco-friendly habitat for all sorts of creatures. Okay. It's awesome. So go on over to, if you haven't heard that show, go on over to easylivingyards.com slash episode 104. If you guys want to hear me get even more passionate about stuff, 
and to join the Save the Earth Club with me, go on over to easylivingyards.com slash episode 87, where I talk about my Save the Earth Club, all right? It's a little tongue-in-cheek there. It's a club I started in fourth grade. It was awesome. It's still awesome. And today's show Easy and you know, Easy Living Yards is my manifestation of the Save the Earth Club. So by you being a listener, I think you're kind of like you know, you're semi inaugurated into the I Help Save the Earth Club. Go on over to that show and you know, pledge to be a member with me there. <laughs> you can be an honorary member. Now, Rain Gardens episode seventy seven, Zero Escaping episode seventy four. All these links in the show notes. Guys, go on over, sign up to the webinar. I look forward to talking with you. And uh, I think we'll leave it at that, right? Okay, thanks for tuning in. Make sure you live with passion and make tomorrow better than today.